0: Today's reading is Luke 15, verses 1 to 2 and verses 11 to 32. It can be found on page 964 of the Bible's next your seats as well as on a screen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and here squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son.
1: Thank you, Karen. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, we come into this place and we find seats here coming from different kinds of experiences, different life, life journeys. If asked which brother in the story we relate to, some of us would, would firmly say we relate to the younger brother, The rebellious runaway and others of us would say we relate to the older brother faithful and diligent and committed and in all kinds of different ways we reflect more than just those two paths some of us come with this morning with great doubts that we never had before maybe faith used to be easy but it's no longer that clear some of us come with questions and hurts and wounds from the past, maybe even inflicted at the hand of church people. Some of us come sitting here with nothing but a kind of uh, peace and a joy, just because maybe it's rare, but this last season has been one in which things have been going well and we see your grace in our life. We see you providing or answering prayers or something like that that has us settled, and others of us come quite numb, just anesthetized by the comforts and entertainments of American life, American culture. And we come with all this mixture of things, and we sit with people, some of whom we just we don't even know their names, and we sit here and we, we feel like a mess, but we would never say it. We feel frail and fragile, but we don't want to admit it but we're more of a mess than we even realize and that the story we expose ourselves to now, the story we're invited to receive is the story of a God who moves towards broken, frail lives so that even as we're a mess, we're now in Christ more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. Acceptance, validation, reinstatement before you, those are things you promise to bring through Jesus to us. And we don't earn it, we just receive it. And so I pray that whatever is said now about this passage, whatever flows through my mouth and whatever is it going on in our thoughts would be just more of an outpouring and an overflow of that grace that you promised to bring us through Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Today, really, we zero in on a part of this passage. And it's summarized by the beginning of verse 28. The older brother became angry. And the question of the week last week, there weren't... I think there was maybe one or two answers. I didn't bring the answers with me. It wasn't a lot, of, a lot of answers to question. I think the question of the week that you could fill out last week was what made you angry this week I don't know if you got angry this week I don't know if you had a chance to I don't know if you had an experience where anger kind of crept up you know and you noticed your short fuse and you started boiling up inside and felt like you were going to blow your top I don't know did it happen or did somebody else in your life get that way Mark Twain once said if you get angry count four if you get really angry swear I think that's kind of funny. I like that. Um, and this week, there was, a, there was an anger news, news bulletin. There was a situation where somebody was so angry about the issue that they're an activist about um, homelessness in Sacramento. They're so angry that they went and they bought a coconut cream pie. And some of you know the story. And they came up to this lovely dinner that was happening and jammed that pie into the face of our mayor who then was so angry himself that he tackled this, uh, this would-be attacker and punched him in the face. I'm sure most of you have caught that, that news headline this week. It's, you can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> and now, so I'm guessing, I, I'm probably true to say that none of you this week had an incident of anger involving a pie, and, and probably very few of you, if any, had a chance to punch someone in the face because of your anger. But nonetheless, most likely all of you in some way were touched by or were yourself engrossed in anger. I know because I'm a human being as well. I know because I talk to you. I sit down with you. I talk through the things going on in your lives. I know how prevalent anger is. Maybe even someone, this is even possible even with good church people, that someone on the way to... Coming here this morning, that there is anger in the car or on the bike ride or whatever. There is embroiled in anger, you know, just this morning from waking up to arriving here. Not necessarily for sure, but possibly one or two that might have happened. Somebody once told me that they um, they went to a church where you were supposed to act real nice and 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 say you know how you doing and you say something like oh I'm blessed, you know. You have some phrase you're supposed to say. I, And uh, he said one morning, he got asked when he arrived, how are you doing? And he wanted to say, well, my wife and I were arguing on the whole way here this morning, and I'm ticked off, and now i got to go and teach Sunday school, and I'm not okay. And instead he said, I'm blessed. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Anger. And anger is spiritually loaded. It's, it's, it's spiritually loaded. It's a, it's a terrain for spiritual growth. And what do you know, but even... I know, it's surprising. Even religious people have anger issues. I know, it's so surprising. So surprising that religion and anger get mixed. I, I don't get it, but... Um, and I, I've learned that in... in, in um, Basically, I've learned that in talking with people for myself and with other people that when, if, when anger kind of shows itself or when it gets talked about, and that's a part of the equation of something that, that as I meet with people and I have a one-on-one conversation with um, and with myself, that if anger is kind of there showing itself, I, it, I've learned to really zero in on it. That if anger has presented itself, that somewhere very close by is big-time room for growth. Big time room for spiritual growth. That anger is sort of like a neon sign flashing saying, come, grow here. Um, and it's, it's, it's not the issue always, right? Anger is not always the issue. It's not just, oh, i got to figure out my anger. It's, it's the presenting symptom. And somewhere as you dig around in it, you find the cause. Something, I would put it this way, and this is where it becomes really spiritually informative, or an instructive, something in your life is at stake when you're angry. There's an imbalance, there's an injustice, there's an unfairness always connected to anger. So something in your life is at stake. Um, Now, I don't know anyone that fully lives like this. It's far from what I'm able to say I can do, but the Christian holds on to this possibility. If you're a Christian, the idea is that... um, the only thing to, that can really send you into a tailspin and, and get you wrapped up in your anger into a tailspin would be that your connection with God is at stake. Because a Christian believes that, that is, that's like the anchor, that that's the fuel, that's the engine for your life. That's like once you have it, you are now found. You know, I was lost before and I'm found now. I, you have your anchor, you have your everything in your connection to God. That's what you, your heart's been longing for. That's what sustains you. So th- so this is the idea, is that if I'm in a tailspin about anything else that I'm believing is at stake, at some point I've got to realize and say, I'm, there's something in my life that I'm valuing more than my connection with God. Because the, my it, my connection with God isn't actually at, at stake in this issue. So why am I being falling into a tailspin because of this issue? Well, because right now I'm valuing this more than other things another way to look at it another word for it a strong word for it is idolatry right something prioritized more than god and so this happens you value something higher than your connection to god you value your pride more than your connection to god and so that you get angry because your pride is on the line you value your money more than your relationship with god And so you're angry, you're mad because you're getting gypped out of something that you thought was yours. You value your reputation more than your connection to God. You value your free time more than your relationship with God. You value your kids' education and their future more than you value your connection to God. And so you're thrown in a tailspin. You value your progressive values and ideas more than you value your connection to God, and so you've thrown in a tailspin over the campaigns. You value your conservative opinions and ideas more than you value your connection to God, and so the campaigns are throwing you into a tailspin on both ends of the spectrum, right? You value your comfort more than you value your connection to God, and so you're Suffering and the discord in your life is throwing you into a tailspin. You value your retirement accounts and the picture of the perfect future. You value that more than your connection to God. The economy starts to do a little bit of this. You get thrown into a tailspin. You're mad. On and on and on. What makes you angry? Angry is very instructive if you'll pay attention to it. If you'll heed, in a way, if you'll heed the lesson of uh, the end of this parable that we see in the older brother's anger. What happens in the story is that anger, and this is another thing, so anger is spiritually, that could be like the first thing we learn, is anger is spiritually loaded. It's, it's instructive. You can peel under it and start to get at some really big, weighty stuff, and you might say, ooh, cover that back up. I don't want to co- <laughs> go there. But that's, that's what you do if you start peeling back those layers. Um, the other thing is that anger can hijack Your life. It can hijack all of the attention and the resources that you have that you're bringing to your life. We've all felt that. We've all been there. And the elder brother in this story, that's exactly what's happening. And It's a beautiful picture of it. I love this picture of how anger hijacks our our whole well-being, our whole energy, our whole life. It hijacks it. Because in this story, we read that, meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. And when he came near the house, He heard the music and the dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And there's music, there's dancing, there's a joyful celebration. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. But he answered his father. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look! All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet when you, um, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He is so wound up in the injustice and part of it is They had had to give the inheritance away to this son, which meant chopping up the whole thing into thirds and giving a third of the property and everything to this younger son. The father didn't have to do that, so that's a first injustice. The father could have just booted that younger son out for disrespect for asking for the inheritance. So there's one unfairness that's sitting in there festering and making anger happen in the older brother but then he says you know what but from here on out this son is gone from here on out i can work my tail off and everything every piece of energy i put into this is going to build my own inheritance everything because that son is now gone he is written off he's got his inheritance so now me the one who works hard the one who's here all along all of this will be my everything i will benefit from every little piece of of activity i do now in the family every And I shoulder, I will get something out of it. See, the fair, he's he's starting to say, okay, well, that was unfair, but I can balance the scales through my hard work. And then this whole thing comes with the son comes back and he's given the robe and the ring. That means he's back in the family. Cha ching to the inheritance again. It actually kind of has all those connotations. Like he's fully back in as a son. And now they've killed this most expensive piece of uh, livestock to have this huge celebration, expensive celebration, in the, the older brother, the, the bank accounts just draining, you know, for this ungrateful younger son. And he's furious in the, but, but here's the picture that we're given. This parable just simply shows us he's outside of the celebration. Anger, all that stuff, all that injustice has hijacked him and hijacked all of his energy so he can't even see what's right in front of his face. The father can see it, the older son can't. That's what anger does. There's a great story in the Old Testament about Jonah, and it's a very short little book, and Jonah is told by God, he doesn't want to, but he's told by God to go to this foreign people who's a a violent enemy people in, in this huge city of Nineveh and tell them about God. And Jonah finally goes, and he kind of preaches condemnation and then stands on a hill and waits for the, the fire and the lightning to come. But the people believe in God, and there's, it's like there's this huge celebration in the city of people humbly turning to God and saying, God is so great and so amazing, and Jonah's mad on the hill, wanting fire to come down from heaven on these people. It's, it's, it's this anger, this injustice, this is how it is, in, how, it, how it's written in Jonah. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. (laughs) And then eventually God says to him twice, is it right for you to be angry? Very similar, right, To to the older brother story. God, there's a celebration in the city of people encountering God. Jonah's looking from the cliff over here and God comes to him. It's almost like God going out to him. Come on. Is it right for you to be angry? Come on, see it how I see it. But that's what anger does. Anger is always hijacking your attention and you're missing out on God's celebration. Have you ever been there? Places in your life, is there anything recently where it's became so central to your consciousness that it just blinded you to even see some of the dynamics in, around you, right in front of your face. Anger hijacks. Think about it this way. Think about like the, one of the lists we're given of, of what a Christian life looks like. What is, what is the life, the expression of, of knowing God and connect, being connected to God, what does that look like? Well, there's this fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. And if you are wrapped up in a tailspin of anger, guess how many of those things you can, you can also hold in, at the same time? I don't, I don't know if you can do any of them. Anger plus, I mean, think about love, hijacked. You have anger, you're angry. Joy, hijacked. Uh, peace, no way, hijacked. Love, joy, peace, patience. No, 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 no. Not when you're angry. Impatience is one of those key joys of of being angry, right? That's one of the things that's right there with it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Gentleness? No, no, no. Not when you're angry. Not when you're wrapped up in angry. that's, That's what anger does. It hijacks things. Um... So essentially what the, what the stories of Scripture are always having us do is saying bring it to God. Bring your anger to God. Bring your anger to God. Have an interaction with God around your anger. The Psalms are filled with this. The Psalms are filled with... Um, really, it's, it's shown to be an incredibly admirable, admirable act of faith to bring your anger into God's presence through prayer and even through community. And In a sense, lay your anger at God's feet and let him sort it. That's where, that's where everything leads. These interactions between God and Jonah out on the cliff, the interaction between God, the father and the elder brother outside the party, meeting God and kind of having it out and having God sort out your anger. One of the things that always happens, and that happens in the elder brother story, is that your attention will be drawn toward the other and away from your own self-absorption anger becomes this really inward spiral where you're just looking at yourself and what you deserve and when you bring your anger to God um, he draws he kind of lifts you know imagine a gentle hand on your chin lifting you up to see to look around and actually see the other to see what's going on around you that you weren't Paying attention to you, or weren't listening to the young, the older brother says to the father. Um, he says, "Let me make sure I get it right." So, so the brother says to the father, "This son of yours—that's the language. This son of yours comes home. Sh- shouldn't he call him his brother, right? Isn't it? But no, it's not his brother anymore. He's not." Looking at it, he's saying, you know, this son of yours. It's not my brother comes home, but this son of yours. He can't even see him as a brother. And then what does the father do? My son, he says, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He draws his attention back to see what's going on that he's so blatantly missing because of his anger. Same thing happens at the end of the book of Jonah, just for fun, fun Bible fact. At the very end, God says, you have been concerned about this, but he says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? See how he's again he kind to of draw his attention. Look, you're over here. Look, look over here. Come on, look. Come on. See? And should I not be concerned about this great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I mean, even to God's care for all of creation, that's the the last sentence of the book of Jonah. And also many animals. This is God's just drawing his attention. Look, look at this city. When you're angry, you're blocking out a lot about the other person, and it's poisoning. It's poisoning to your relationship. And that's really what, what anger is, um, what anger is like. It's like uh, when you hang on to anger and when you hang on to the resentment that starts to build. I think the quote in the worship guide says it well. You know, you're not forgiving, you're resentful, you're angry. And uh, Anne Lamott says, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. So, and the secondly, so if you bring your anger to God, secondly, you begin to see that you only have a connection to God because of unfairness. You're wrapped up in your anger always as a, a balancing, wanting the scales to be balanced, desperately pleading and pushing for the, the scales to be balanced. I, I know because I can think of re- recent cases in my own life where I, I'm, I'm inventing speeches I could give that could really you know, balance the scale and this you know, could really stick it to them or get this thing done in my life that isn't getting done for myself or for one of my kids or for my wife. You know, I'm thinking, you know, you plot out these ways to get things, you know, not a coconut pie, cream pie necessarily, but, you know, other things, maybe things just as ridiculous as that. And you dream up these things and the truth is we're wanting to balance the scales, but the spiritual message is this, your relationship with God hinges on an imbalanced scale. If you pushed for every wrong to be righted and every scale to be balanced, then you'd have no connection to God anymore. Because the whole gospel message of the Bible is that this God finds a way for his legitimately, he could legitimately have a short fuse with us. And he finds ways that involve all kinds of injustice upon himself, to lengthen that fuse and say, you know, so there's this phrase that we learn about God. God is slow to anger. And in fact, in the, in the Old Testament, this is a mantra that follows after saying what the name of God really means. Like, so it's the core of God's identity. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Who is God? That's God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. So throughout scripture, you find ways that God is basically helping the scales to, through some unfairness and some imbalance that he ends up shouldering the weight of, getting us to then be brought into relationship again with him. And that's what we need to see. That's always what our anger interaction with God is. That in a sense, you're mad at somebody. Somebody's really ticked you off. Somebody's getting away with something. Someone's bugging you like to no end. And they should really stop, right? You're mad. In every single case, you could say, um, God is just as legitimate to blow his top at me as I feel like I am with them. In fact, even more so. And God doesn't. God has chosen to find a way to, in a way, sort of shelf, find a way to process anger without it exploding on me. This is the lesson of the elder brother. This is what Tim Keller says in his book about this parable. If the elder brother had known his own heart, he would have said, I am just as self-centered and a grief to my father in my own way, as my brother is in his. I have no right to feel superior. And Tim Keller says, then he would have had the freedom to give his brother the same forgiveness that his father did. Friends, when you're um, touched by the imbalance of God's grace, by the unfairness of God's grace, by the injustice of God's grace, when it finally lands in your court and you receive when you, when you least deserve, and when you can realize that a lot of times we think we deserve, a lot of times we kind of operate with, we're, we're kind of working our way into God's good grace and we say, I haven't done much bad in a while, I'm in pretty in pretty good shape, I think God's pretty thankful I exist and pats me on the back. You know, sometimes we get in these places, we don't even realize we're there, but once in a while you see it kind of clearly and you say, I you know, I'm really undeserving of the kind of love that I want and to imagine God has for me and that the Bible says God has for me. That, those are those amazing moments where you say, yeah, maybe if that's how I'm defined, maybe that imbalance, I can start to operate without as much demand for the scales to be balanced in relationships. Maybe I can shoulder a little bit of the imbalance for the sake of the relationship, moving forward. I love our group called Dive. It's a discipleship group that involves group meetings and one-on-one meetings, and we don't start another one until like February. This one goes all the way to the end of the year. And in this group, uh, a recent one-on-one meeting I had with somebody, it was so good, and I had to I had to stop and say, "Do you know that this is a picture of the gospel?" This person basically just said, it's very simple, but just basically said, you know, and then there's these this part of my life and this part of my life, and in this part of my life, there's these people that I'm deciding to shelf a lot of my um, legitimate resentment and just pursue them in love, right? That's in that, and I said, that's, that's, do you know that's God with us? That's what God, how God comes to us? And that is you now living with the kind of grace that you've received. That's what this parable is all about. Let's pray. Our God of grace, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, um, help us to taste your grace. Help us to lay our anger at your feet. And that may that become a regular practice that we do so that the growth can begin And with our anger, Lord, there's layers and layers of things we feel, we feel really, we have lots of self-justification that we've plotted out. We have a lot of sense of being very legitimate in, in our anger. And it's true that anger is not always bad. And yet, we've got to admit it's leading us in many ways into tailspins, and it's, we're far from you. So would you help us to, to peel away some of the layers of defensiveness and to allow you in? And for those of us who have great pain and wounds because of wrongs done to us, it's not a simple process to let go and forgive. It's years, sometimes decades, to process this anger. And yet, may we process it with you, and may your love win out in the end. May your grace heal those wounds And teach us one layer at a time to be grace givers and to be able to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.